Why do you look for the living among the dead? Lord, make me a Where's he is from here? What is ready? I got him, I got him, I got him. can't be serious. That is some We, we didn't notice you were here. Oh, hey. oh, hello. Oh, it's a lady. Sorry. Oh, oh. Um, are you new to the mm. to the church? Have you Worship been coming here often for a while? Or? I know oh, your low-cut top. You must be new. <laughs> That's definitely reformed. Uh, or you've been coming for years and you've just stopped. Oh, are you, are you perhaps drifting? Are you backsliding? Are you beat me to it? Are you backsliding? You sliding back? Because I'd like to slide back. <laughs> to Jesus. That's what I meant. <laughs> to Jesus. I don't know what you meant. I want to slide back to Jesus. No, slide on back to Jesus. That, man, that would be like, I could just see some pastor. I don't want to. You know what? I am backsliding. <laughs> I'm sliding slide right back, back to, to Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Oh. Twitter, hitting the tweets, getting on the Instagram. You should have heard what the pastor uh, said today. He had this thing about backsliding and changed my world. Whoo, whoo. Never thought about that way. Jesus, preach mercy. Hob, my loins. <laughs> you tuck them, tuck them back in. Gird them, gird them, gird them. I'm girding my loins. Mm. Mm. I don't know how we segue out of this. Welcome to the back pew. Slick. <laughs> Basically, if this interview goes poorly, uh, the back pew doesn't continue, and we just we just scrap everything. Everything we've put together just ends. Can I can I convince you to maybe try and start a different podcast then? <laughs> If this one doesn't work? Yeah, if this one doesn't work, just like, just keep going. Because all the stories that you hear are about like, about huge successes in business yeah. and whatever. Like, well, this, I tried this thing and that didn't work. Then I tried this thing and then that didn't work. And then I opened Disneyland. You know? <laughs> so what you're saying is this, this is, we're on track to start our own amusement park. I love that in your mind, Walt Disney's progression is like, uh, I drew a mouse. Uh, did it got didn't go over it well? Okay, I mean it got like fifteen. And then I opened the world's largest amusement park. <laughs> Just huge step. Oh man. Well, I'm gonna segue into deep. Can I just kick yeah, it off? go for it. Can I just go? I would, but let me just preface. Let me preface by saying, uh, David Greco. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Colton is meeting him for the first time. So in my bedroom. Here we are. Yeah. Um, I like to meet strange men. And David, you're also you're the first you're the first guest in the back pew. You're the you first are. person we've had. I know. Woo! I don't know why. I mean, I, I my thought is you guys must have invited me because it's low risk. So like, so if this doesn't work out, if you if you learn how to interview someone better next mm. time, then no big deal. No but one knows who I am. Again, if this does not go well, this gets buried. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I knew I knew right away that I wanted to have you on the podcast but also I think I I got at least one maybe even two suggestions suggestions yeah, for you specifically oh, really? one or two people specifically were like you should have David Greco that's what I want to ask is why do you think you got recommended 
for this. What is it about your demeanor or spiritual life that you think people are like, that guy's already back there. Hey, uh, we're, we're really worried about, about David, David and his walk with the Lord. You should have him on the show. I don't know. Uh, that's really interesting to me. I, they were friendly people. They were people yeah. who love you. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a good thing, yeah. That is fascinating. Um... I don't know. I, I think I have a unique perspective. I'm a, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. That's not that unique. But then I, I do a lot of work in like the Christian marketplace mm-hmm. right now. So I'm traveling around the country 200 days a year, like working at events that are very culturally Christian. What is the Christian marketplace? So, you know, some people talk about Christian music and Christian books. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There are many of us who believe that those things can't inherently be Christian because those can't be redeemed. Those are just things. Those are just so, so it's whatever it is, it's, it's uh, you know, music or uh, uh, speakers and authors, whatever, who, who specifically gear their, uh, their, whatever it is they're trying to sell. Like Christian branding, essentially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, their T-shirts and their CDs and their books, um, those are geared toward toward culturally Christian people. Yeah, like the, uh, like, Christian T-shirts that have, like... Jesus is my homeboy. Like, uh, yeah. uh, the Abercrombie and Fitch, but it's, like, a... a a bunch of loaves and fish or something. I'm pretty sure that was a shirt. <laughs> there was one when I was growing up. It was a t-shirt that said, uh, it was is all in the Reese's logo. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was a, and instead oh, of Reese's, yeah, it said Jesus. Jesus. Or like, is that seriously who you work for? Those are the, no, that's like, no, oh, okay. No. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I think for, I work for something I really actually deeply believe in. It's just some, it's just that our marketplace is like, we, we just tend to market toward people in that, in that world. Uh, but yeah, they, there's just there's just this weird version of Christianity that's out there that says like, well, I can't. Um, I, th- I think it's fear a little bit, so I can't listen to this music. So give me the music that is safe to listen to. Like you see Christian radio stations. I saw a, a van that that said. Um, it's whatever it was. It was like blah blah blah. The fish or whatever. Yeah. Six point whatever. The, the fish family. safe for the whole family. Right. Which um, which I just looked at. And I'm like, well, has have these people not read the Bible? Because <laughs> it is like offensive. Yeah. It is. There's like there's it's Game of Thrones. Actually, it is. It's book. full on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Which Bible college did you go to? Uh, one that's not in existence anymore. Oh, North. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was in it was in Strathmore, Alberta, Canada. Oh, okay, oh. Uh, it's where where oh. I met my wife. Um. So. What what did you you studied music there? Um, it was actually just like a, a here's a Christian word, but it was a discipleship. It was a one year discipleship program. Oh, gotcha. Oh, so okay. basically, um, it was the first time I read the Bible in its entirety. Um, what age it? was this? Eighteen. I was eighteen. Okay. Yeah, eighteen and nineteen. Um, yeah, it was first year out of high school. Um, I'll admit I've not even read the Bible in its entirety. Oh, really? It's a heavy book. I've skipped around a lot. Yeah, and we can get back There's to some this parts you could probably do without. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that's uh, uh, we're going to touch on that later. We're actually going to touch on that now. As soon as I made that joke and heard their response, I knew I was going to have to explain it a bit. Now, when I initially thought about how to break down my view of the Bible in five minutes or less, I wanted to make it as academic as possible. I wanted to explain the councils, the history, the inconsistencies, the translation process, like all that good stuff. But as soon as I sat down to do this, I realized it doesn't matter. Explaining how the Bible came to be is less important than explaining what it is. 
I felt like it would be like explaining who J.K. Rowling is when it's not important. It's important that Harry Potter captivated the imagination of an entire generation of people, young and old. And whether or not you liked it doesn't really matter because seven books sparked a franchise that's worth over $25 billion. So it's the same thing here with the Bible, which is essentially just another powerful book. It's not a fucking book! It's a weapon! Gary Oldman is, is right. The Bible is a collection of ancient documents that has become a weapon. And that is why I'm torn. I have received both profound love and traumatic abuse by those who justified their actions with scripture verses. My father was an angry, abusive alcoholic who would quote Bible verses through gritted teeth and clenched fists as he slowly dismantled my entire family. But this is why I'm a big fan of Jesus and less a fan of the Bible. To me, a cosmic Christ is the overarching meta-narrative that connects all things together and breathes life and wisdom into otherwise empty and confusing words. See, all parts of the Bible are not created equal. Some are far more prone to abuse, misuse, and misunderstanding, which I know is three ways of saying the same thing. So here's a scenario. Imagine we lived in a world where Bibles are illegal. I know that sounds amazing to some of you, and I get it, but imagine the government was burning every Bible and sentencing anyone who had a Bible to death. Now imagine you were going to tear out a page or a section of scripture as a keepsake, as a reminder of the God you love and the stories and teachings that define his people. Which section would you tear out? I don't imagine you'd go for the parts in Leviticus that describe how to wash up after an emission of semen. It's just a guess. I mean, I hope that's not a really important verse for you. And I, I, I get that this is a sensitive subject because so many people have built a house of cards upon certain ideas about the Bible being entirely literal and inerrant. And as soon as I poke at it, the whole thing comes crashing down. But there's a reason that Jesus' ministry is defined by the use of parables, aka fictional stories, to teach a timeless lesson. It's why a newspaper is less meaningful than a poem. The newspaper will be informative, but tomorrow it's irrelevant. But the poem will last a lifetime. And you don't look to a poem for facts or a history lesson or scientific breakthroughs. You look to it for hope and for beauty and for wisdom. And I promise you, the Bible is far more poetry than newspaper. At the end of the day, I, I actually do love the Bible more than any other book. I read it on the daily because I believe it makes me a better person and not out of a religious guilt or obligation. What I love most about it is that it reflects a God who is subversive. And by that I mean a God who is constantly working through a broken system to bring out the best results possible. And our, our black and white Bibles never fully capture how very gray our God is. Our God is countercultural to his or her core. When men created systems that favored the firstborn, God started favoring the second or youngest child. When racism divided tribes and created social stigmas, God chose people from the most despised tribes to be heroes. When men tried to sexually abuse and then discredit women, God made the savior of the world a descendant of those same women. Jesus' line of grandmas includes a foreigner, two prostitutes, and a woman who was pressured into cheating on her husband by the king. God also chose to save the entire Jewish race through the boldness of a woman named Esther who was essentially a sex slave for the king. The Bible can most certainly become a weapon, but only in the hands of someone who knows not the intention or the heart of the creator. My dad has been sober for almost seven years now. He continues to read the Bible every day and uses it for motivation to serve those he loves and seek reconciliation 
with those he hurt. The Bible magnifies whatever you bring to it. So if you bring hate, bitterness, and evil, it'll drive you to do some heinous things. But if you bring tenderness, humility, and love for humanity to the Bible, then it can truly be used to heal the world. At least, that's my experience. Now back to Greco. So, I, I mean, I grew up in, in the church, went to this Bible college, then started leading worship at churches, So, I, which means I led the music part of the service. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about worship in the evangelical church, for the most part, what we're talking about is the part where we sing together, mm-hmm. um, not the whole service. So for some reason, reading scripture together or, yeah, or like, worship. right, or, or uh, being generous and, and giving some of your funds to, to further the mission of the church, mm-hmm. not worship. You know, the, um, uh, being like taking part of the Eucharist or part of communion, um, not worship. Singing pop songs together is worship, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. And um, that's always frustrated me. But I was the worship leader and I, with different titles. I was the lead worshiper at one church. I was the <laughs> lead worshiper. Yeah. I was the, um, I was the director of music ministry at one church. That's a good one. That fits on a card really yeah. nicely. Right, right, that's right. a solid solid descriptor so anyway I did that for nine years and then uh, somewhere along the line uh, hit a hit a crisis of faith and that actually started the beginning of I think it was 2010 I know it was 2010 I decided hey I'm gonna do that um, year-long Bible thing like where I'm gonna read the Bible in a year which I hadn't I hadn't read the full Bible since I was at Bible college um, you know 10 years before that or something like that and so figured I'm gonna do this but I'm gonna read the chronological one so that I better understand it because mm-hmm. it was because the Bible isn't written necessarily chronologically there's right. it bounces around a lot time-wise and so so I decided I'm gonna read the chronological one so I started it started with started with Genesis mm-hmm. and uh, then it jumped to some, some Job and some, it, it was just all over the place. But um, it was really fascinating um, at points and it was really disturbing at points. It was the first time I really looked at scripture um, from the angle of maybe this is just people writing words. Maybe God had nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is people writing down words um, at best to create a unified identity for themselves and and trying to figure out how to relate with one another and how to relate to God, whatever that is. Um, and at worst, justification for going to war and taking lands and um, and and maybe like maybe creating laws that that um, in some cases oppressed people. In most cases, the way I look at it, it actually was a was a better version of than what was around, mm-hmm. but it was still like pretty horrific when you look back on it. I rem- so, yeah, go ahead. I, I remember being, like, similarly disturbed mm-hmm. when I started learning that virtually every other Middle Eastern culture, mm-hmm. like, tells the same story for their culture. Yeah. Like, they all have very similar creation narratives. They yeah. all have very similar, like, they've got a flood narrative of some yeah. kind and there's all these Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh yeah. The and Vita. yeah, they've all got these similar shared narratives at which they are all the focal point. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, ugh. but they don't, they don't all claim to have some like magical relationship with an all seeing God of some mm-hmm. kind. So like that, that was kind of like a disturbing correlation to me sorry i interrupted you but i just thought i think that's interesting to like read that and be like this could just be people trying to make sense of their surroundings i mean as i was reading it it sure sounded it felt a lot more like that 
mm-hmm. than uh, than the version of of the Bible that I had been told or you know what had been communicated to me. So um, I just started asking some deeper questions, and um, and actually, probably that's unfair. I probably just asked the same questions I had been asking. I just wasn't satisfied with the answers anymore. And so the way that I look at it is, uh, I have I had to kind of paint a picture for myself to better understand it and to better communicate it. But I feel like I asked a question, and it was like taking a step into the ocean. And asked another question, it was like taking another step. And there was one question, it wasn't more significant than the other. I don't even remember what it was. But one thing that didn't make sense to me, and so I took another step forward and I couldn't feel the bottom anymore. It was like the whole, like everything fell out from underneath me and, uh, and, and I freaked out. Hmm. And, and it, was, it was just as if God didn't exist anymore. And so I started talking to my pastor at the time and processing that. Talked with my dad, processed that. Um, and I... And I felt like I wasn't going to be able to figure this out if I was working at a church. Uh, Even if I felt like I resolved it and answered all the questions that I had, um, I would still get to this point again at some point in the future and still ask these hard questions again and be unsatisfied again. And so I felt like the safest or smartest thing to do was to resign and stop being a professional Christian, which I had been every, every day since high school for the most part. And... Um, so that I wouldn't be able to look back on it and go, well, but I kind of took the safe bet because this was the thing that was paying my, paying my bills and right. at the time paying our mortgage in San Francisco, which is easy, which is not easy to come by. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're married, leading worship at this time. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Is your exactly. wife like clued into all this? Yes, and the, yeah. So, it, and the funny thing about all of this is when you when you're so tied in with the church and when you're so tied in um, with God being at the center of everything, when uh, when you let go of God, there's nothing that connects any two things together. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I let go of God, it was as if marriage didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it was as if like, and that was a big one. But we thought we were going to get a divorce. Like we had conversations. I remember we went to our favorite restaurant, and we were sitting there, and for the first time, we we said that word. Like, do you think we're going to make it? Do you think we're going to get a divorce? Just because you didn't have the same faith? Because things were just getting hard from her perspective. She was just going like, why is he distant? Why isn't he here anymore? From my perspective, I was going, I really love her. But if there's no such thing as a God, then the, the idea of marriage is archaic. It's weird. So why would I keep doing this? My natural tendency, if I just... If, if I let go of God, in my mind at the time, I could just go ahead and just be as selfish as I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, again, like kind of probably a, a, a skewed perspective. Yeah. But that was me just kind of exploring new territory. I didn't know what this looked like without God, um, without, with a, without uh, some sort of faith to tether everything together. And so I just thought, well... My natural tendency, I think, is to just be like a serial monogamist. Like I want to, I don't want to just like sleep around. I don't want to just be with anybody. But I, but I don't. But I want to see what else is out there. I kind of wanted to. I've heard people talk about just rearrange the furniture. Like I wanted to just look at my life differently and just see what happens if I move these things around. And marriage was a thing I kind of wanted to move or move maybe into the back room where I didn't have to look at it for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that I that I didn't really ever do that um uh but we but we got to a point where we thought we weren't gonna make it um and it was actually i think ultimately really really helpful for our marriage and even for my perspective as a person um trying to chase after morality of some kind 
um, I remember she was she was away. My my wife is an actor, and she was out of town doing a play somewhere. Um, and I was home by myself, and I remember being at a at a dog park throwing throwing the ball for our two dogs, and just feeling like with a couple days with her away, feeling like okay, you know what? Even if there is no God, even if none of this matters. Uh, and I don't want to tether myself to that. I still want to tether myself to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really beautiful because I found a piece of, um, of the person I want to be a- apart from at that point, my faith. Um, and, and it, it kind of actually, I think was the beginning of me kind of turning back to chasing after God instead of turning away from from God. Uh, and that's the great thing about life together and life in intentional community is that I feel like um, we can help each other be a better version of ourselves and we can, we can help um, our brother or our sister or our husband or our wife or whatever um, experience God in a new way just because, because, there's, because I, I believe that there's still some sort of image of God in all of us. Yeah. And, um, um, and so that, that was just a beautiful way to kind of re-experience, reignite this, this, this excitement about something beyond myself. What I, th- what I think is like really important about your story is you are kind of a testament to how those experiences of doubt and like faith reaching a breaking point, I think are universal, but what is, what is important and what uh, you are so commendable in doing is in being so honest about it. And then like, there's this need to you, you went to your wife and it was like, by going to one another and expressing that fear and are we going to make it is divorce on the table and really like bearing that out. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, it points you, into something deeper. It mm-hmm. points you into deeper relationship, exactly. into deeper faith. And I wonder how many guys, you know, who have like a uh, director of majestic ministries on their business card, uh-huh. just like won't, they just, they'll have those doubts and they'll just not talk about it. Yeah. And they just won't feel they'll, because they would say like, my livelihood will be threatened. I have a family to support. Mm-hmm. They are professional Christians. I, yeah. I love that term yeah. being a professional Christian. Yeah. And then, expressing doubts it sucks mm-hmm. that in our culture the minute you express doubts there's a fear that somebody's going to be like well then you're fired right yeah and that's a critical failure on the yeah. part of our faith construction yeah. socially yeah. and again like i want to and my pastor at the time as i was going through all of this who walked with me through that um he was I mean, he, he wore that name. You, you said this already, but like the word pastor, like he wore that badge well. He was very pastoral. He really cared for me um, and helped me kind of explore that, helped me. Um, he, didn't, he didn't seem to be afraid of my questions and he didn't fire me right away as when I said, like, I, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. He helped me go, okay, well, how can we still love this community that you're still serving, like that you're still here to to minister to and can that still work? And we, so we crafted language. Like, so instead of me getting up and saying, you know, um, uh, you know, where two or more are gathered, God's going to be there. So let's all worship and praise Jesus and you know, whatever. I didn't say those kinds of things. I just said, um, 
you know, in, in the scriptures, it talks about this. So we're going to practice that right now. Let's go. Let's try this out. Like I, 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 I worded things in a way where I could be honest um, without my vulnerability um, pulling people past where it's comfortable, distracting them from being able to experience something beautiful in that moment. And that's been a really important life lesson for me. And even right now as we're having a conversation, I'm, I'm even thinking that in the back of my mind. Like, how do I stay vulnerable and authentic without like without um without necessarily giving someone who doesn't want it permission to go well fuck it all you know i think that's where my question like always comes in with we're always trying to shield people from like, I don't want to do anything. What you said, I've heard tons of times, like, I don't want to inspire, inspire any doubt mm-hmm. or like push anybody past where they're ready to go, yeah. anything like that. I'm wondering like how much of our job it actually is to do that. Mm-hmm. We're so sensitive about, I don't want to, I don't want anyone else to doubt. But then we talk about, well, the doubt's the thing that helped me the most. Yeah. I'm so thankful yeah. I my, got to doubt. My wife put up with me and everybody rallied around me so that I could mm-hmm. doubt and be stronger now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Do you think it possibly could be part of a worship leader to say, today we're only going to talk about doubt. Today I'm going to tell you like exactly what I'm going to go, yeah. what I'm going through. And it yeah. may push some of you into a quote unquote uncomfortable or I don't know, mm-hmm. people would call that maybe a harmful space. But right. maybe that, I'm just wondering what that stirs up in you to think about. Yeah. I mean, now for me, I would, I would love that. Um, and we're actually in the process of kind of looking for a new faith community and we don't know where, what that's going to be or where that, what that's going to look like. Um, but, but one of the reasons that we felt we needed to go explore was just, was that very thing. Like I, I need to be at a place where I can feel honest and be, feel open yeah. to express, um, discontentment or uh or an unbelief that day like the days that i feel way more like an atheist um than anything else yeah i want to be able to go to a place where that's like where that's really okay not just said it's okay on stage but like really is but you're yeah, in a okay. unique place of influence mm-hmm. you're not like me and dan we walk in as parishioners we're just yeah. attending I, I want like the conversation is always like you're in leadership. Yeah. Whatever you allow in moderation, your congregation will abuse in excess. Like that's the whole motto of like mm. leadership. So right. if you have a beer, they're gonna go have a shot. If right. you express a little doubt, they're gonna cheat on their wife. And you're like, right. whoa, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I wonder. Mm. I've always wondered what that pressure and leadership is supposed to be like. Right. I've I've heard how it feels, but it's yeah. like. Oh, you worship leaders have such a powerful job. Yeah, like yeah. I think uh, I don't know. I've yeah. never, I've never thought about that. That's really what a what a horrifying thing to have to live with. <laughs> it's right? like a little, you know, you take an inch and other people take a mile. I've never, I've never once thought about that. I think that's that's kind of a, a testament to our view as churchgoers or Christians as d- treating people on that stage or in leadership unfairly like they aren't human beings like the rest of us like mm-hmm. i mean that is that's kind of a failure on our part and it's sort of that's sort of like us it almost feels like kind of abusive to anybody like you who's in leadership mm-hmm. like forcing you to live up to this impossible standard right yeah um and no wonder like people feel the need to live in secret yeah or just bounce yeah like it's just you just got to yeah. get out yeah like 
I wonder what your future ministry will look like. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been a professional worship leader for, I mean, for six years now. But um, uh, it's, and I don't think that I would ever go back to doing it. Um, I, I feel like it's a, that might, I mean, I, that just might be where I am right now. Um, more and more I'm getting comfortable with just not knowing the answer to questions, which is, which to go back to the whole idea of like, of my analogy of like stepping into the ocean and not feeling the bottom anymore. I don't feel like I've ever recovered. I don't feel like I've ever touched bottom again. I think throughout the years, I think I've just gotten more and more comfortable treading water. And I think that maybe that, um, is why people like reached out to you and said, "Hey, I think David Greco would be really great for this podcast because because I I am pretty open um, on like on Facebook or just in conversation <laughs> like in all of those forums of just saying like um, I don't get it like I'm and I'm okay not getting it and um, and more uh, more and more I'm. Uh, I am finding that there are lots of us in that in that boat who just who don't know, and I, and I think that I think that leadership in churches is gonna catch on to that, mm-hmm. and um, but I feel like the church always, uh, especially the American church, has always been a little bit behind. There's like this this need to kind of hold on to the past a little bit, and then things were better. Um, a little bit more of a need for certainty. Yeah. Logic and reason and like tangible conclusions. Yeah. Sort of thing. And I mean now, and yeah. you know, I mean, and that, that will, that morphs, that moves yeah. mm-hmm. with culture, but, um, Hopefully. <laughs> I hope, but, but, but it has, I mean, historically it has yeah. always, and it's kind of changed. And I mean, read, it's about read like 500 years. Right. Changes. Yeah. Read the desert fathers, like, yeah. and, and yeah. tell me that they were, they cared about certainty at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, seriously, everybody go read the desert fathers. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, put down your Twilights and your Hunger Games. <laughs> I don't know if people are still reading those after the movie comes out. I'm still getting caught up on both of the Twilights and the Hunger it. Games. Yeah, I don't know. The Maze Runner? Resurgence, whatever that thing is called. <laughs> Insurgence? Insurgence? I don't, no, I don't know. Resurgence yeah. is a church thing. Yeah. We're all aging. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Um, Downright aged. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, yeah, I think your analogy is... is phenomenal as far as like we're not trying to give people a bottom yeah like you get to a certain age and it's like you need to learn how to swim Mm -hmm. or float at the bare minimum because touching ground Mm -hmm. good luck to you yeah well or or just admit that like well i'm drowned like i like just admit that like it's admit that like admit you are where you are i feel like is is way more helpful um, another analogy that I've used as far, and this is great cause this talks about ground, but like, you know, people talk about like finding like this level ground and that's, that's their, that's the, that's where their faith is found. It's on this mm-hmm. level ground. Um, and for me more and more, um, that level ground has just been a really great place to pick up a shovel and start digging. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've just, and I feel like, um, now back to that word discipleship, I feel like that's what true discipleship is. It's, it's really digging. It's really searching for truth. It's finding a spot and chasing after what is truth. Like, let me tear this thing up until I find it. And I feel like that's more and more what my faith is like right now. And what I, what I hope um, I can inspire friends uh, to chase after. Like, and because our, um, if, if God, however you define that, if most people who 
who talk about God talk about some version of, of truth there, um, some version of unchangeable, it's whatever, it's, it's there, it's undeniable truth, absolute truth. And so if there is an absolute truth, I feel like those of us who believe that should be the least afraid to dig for it, you know, should be the least content to sit and just settle on what we've just mm-hmm. been told and fed. Um, and, and that's where I kind of find my, the, the excitement. That's where I kind of, that's where I have uh, hope for, for uh, as a person of faith, yeah. as I explore that. When I, when I was first getting to know you, this always really stuck with me. Um, Cause I started coming to a small group that you were having at mm-hmm. your church. And I was in, um, I made the joke with somebody recently, like somebody asked me, uh, when did you get saved? And I'm like, I keep getting saved. Yeah. I just, I like, I, I, I've probably been saved like six or seven times now. Um, and you were the first person who asked me just off the cuff one time, I think we were greeting each other and you said, how's it going becoming a Christian? And it, <laughs> and it was this, I loved, like you said it lightheartedly, uh-huh. but I loved the notion of it's not just a one-time thing right. and then your feet are on solid ground and like you're good. Right. Like everything is good. I love the notion of it's a continual process yeah. of like if being a Christian is being like Christ and that's like virtually it, it feels impossible most of the time, mm-hmm. then it's a <laughs> continual process of learning what that is. Yeah. And I, I think like, I mean, I'm sorry, Colton, because I've talked to you about this, but I, I really love the notion of like the virtuous upward spiral yeah. of like doubt leading to seeking, seeking leading to a new faith, mm-hmm. which inevitably as you explore that faith, it leads to a different kind of doubt, a deeper doubt that you yeah. did not know you had, that right. you did not know you would ever experience. Mm-hmm. And the doubt, like it forced you to do, you sought counsel from people you trusted. Mm-hmm. You went to your wife. Mm-hmm. And you really started, you're like, before I just go off the rails and just start like, like banging whatever I can find, I'm going to, I'm going to invest, I'm going to invest easy. (laughs) I'm going to invest in this, in what I have right now, because I want to believe that this is good. So I'm going to dig a little deeper. And then you dig a little deeper and you discover like, oh, there's, there's that nugget. There's the, there's the gold I had kind of lost sight of for a second. Yeah. And that leads to new faith and the cycle continues and the cycle like causes you to grow. Um, but I think we just, we have this unfortunate systemic problem in our, in our Christian culture of like, you find it, it, it happens overnight, you're transformed and and then you're just good. Mm -hmm. And so then that moment you start to experience those doubts, you're like, I did something wrong. Some I'm, uh, I'm under demonic attack, like something, something bad is happening or, and it could just be like, no, you're just, you're just becoming a Christian. Yeah. Oh, like, and it just never stops. Yeah. I think the people that I've loved and respected the most have always said, as you get older, you get fewer questions. And the questions you have, you hold more deeply, but you're more at peace with those deep questions. Mm. So it's a thing of like, right now we have these crazy existential questions where 20s and 30s and you're like, what do I want? Do I be married? Do I not? Do I do all these yeah. things? And those questions kind of get chiseled away and you're more yeah. of like, how can I serve the people I love the most? Mm-hmm. Um, if God is in all of these different narratives, what is the narrative that drives me to be the best I can be the right. most? And so the, they get like more nuanced, exactly what you said. Yeah. Um, and I'm stuff. Uh, 
to figuring out so much of this myself, but it is the more you learn, the more books you read, you can get overwhelmed by the questions. Mm -hmm. You get overwhelmed by like how many, well, did they translate this? Or was this a real place? Or what about the Dead Sea Scrolls now? And how do I feel about the the cosmos now that I watched the documentary and like <laughs> everything is oh, blowing the my documentary <laughs> cosmos destroyed me. Wait, isn't cosmos the PBS series in which Neil deGrasse Tyson flies an imaginary spaceship that caused you to go spinning end over end into existential quandary? Yes. Precocious listener. Yes, it did. It's a pretty incredible series offering a broad historical recap of mankind's scientific findings while exploring the mind bending possibilities of space and time. It's pretty great. But if you, like me, have roots in the Christian teachings of creationism, buckle up, because your wormhole is about to get supernova See, Christians don't actually have to be creationists. Creationists believe that the creation story at the beginning of the Bible is a historical recounting, and that what is depicted there is in some way a literal retelling of what happened at the beginning of time. Many of us have abandoned the teachings of creationism, and we are full supporters of evolutionary theory, some sort of cataclysmic expansion of matter billions of years ago resulting in space and time, and all of the above being taught in classrooms. I'll put it this way. Science stands in a decrepit old Victorian house in foggy England and says, This home is 250 years old, seven generations lived here, and it needs a new roof. Spirituality stands in that same house and says, I think this place is hella haunted. Creationism stands in that Victorian house and says, Evidence be gosh darned, Disney made this haunted mansion, and I can't wait to get to the gift shop. However, when you are introduced to the utter vastness of the universe and incomprehensible breadth of time as we understand it, there are questions that will send a 27-year-old recovering creationist spinning off into the void. Not necessarily the questions of how, but the questions of why. The real problem with literal creationism is that it makes the whole story about us, human beings. The church persecuted Copernicus when he suggested the universe didn't revolve around the earth because he had the balls to suggest we might not be the center of the universe. In the grand scale of everything, we are shockingly insignificant. Our time on this planet is infinitesimal, and all of our striving, work, stress, pain, fear, love, conquest, and heartache is downright immeasurable. Please see Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot. It takes place on a barely observable scale in a universe where there could be billions of planets just like ours. So why are we here? What is life for? What is the point? Why do we care about ourselves so much? Why did we evolve with this sense of wonder, curiosity, and these deep cravings for answers? Why attempt to do anything meaningful at all? If we are here today and gone tomorrow as fast as an ember flying off a bonfire of star matter and gas, Maybe there's a point to simply trying to enjoy yourself. Amass all the money, power, and glory you can before you die and are forgotten. All of us are forgotten anyway, so you might as well just do whatever you want and then go, right? Then we get this confrontational passage in the ancient book Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. These words aren't written by a starving artist in an opium den or a broke philosopher losing his mind to syphilis. They were written by King Solomon, a man history confirms was wealthy to a degree that made Steve Jobs look like he was hawking phones out of a van. He spent decades of his life living the craziest rap video imaginable, wearing more treasure than a pirate ship and getting Cabernet sponge baths. He was respected, adored, worshipped, and surrounded by a literal cavalcade of T&A. And he gets to the end of his life saying, meaningless? It was all meaningless. So what's the point? Where's our significance? What are we supposed to do with our moment of life? Why are we here? I don't know that two dudes in a Pasadena bungalow are going to get to the bottom of it, but you'll just have to keep downloading this podcast to find out. 
Can I ask you a really deep, loaded question? Yeah. What do you think it is? Like, we're three white, hmm. middle class yeah. males. Mm -hmm. Lower middle class. <laughs> sure, let's, well, yeah, in LA, right at the poverty line. Yeah, uh, but, but I don't know where but, your families are. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But it's, what generational it, it sounds like. like I relate a lot to what you're talking about with your life. Your, your dad seems awesome. My dad's incredible. Yeah, which I'm completely yeah. jealous of. Um, it seems like that's a kind of a charmed upbringing and a very nice mm. life of like you found a woman and you guys got married mm. and the only tension was kind of when you hit doubts and I feel like some people would be like, oh man, you've had like a charmed life. Like yeah. why why are you so plagued by these doubts and fears? Why is it like you want to almost lament so much? Because I feel like people who are not like us, don't look like us, weren't raised like us right. would go like, why are they always complaining? I, th I think that, I think that... And forgive me. I mean, I, I'm. I, st I grew up. I grew up a Christian. I function as primarily most days. If you just looked at the way I live my life, I function as an atheist. Even though I wouldn't say that I'm. Um, I'm not sure about anything. Um, and but I. Uh, but I still like use. I use my the faith that I grew up with still as a dictionary, um, even in the places that I don't know that it's particularly helpful for most people, but I still know to me what the kingdom of heaven means. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are just those, those really Christian phrases that whether or not they mean the same thing um, to everyone across the board, like it's still a really helpful phrase for me. And so um, I think that there's this thing inside of us um, that Jesus referred to as the kingdom of heaven or this thing around us that... Um, uh, and again, I'm going to use really Christian-y language, but it's not even necessarily how I functionally believe, like what I really believe. It's just a good way to, for me to communicate it. Um, it's all analogies for me. But we were created with a, with a purpose, and we were created um, to um, bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth um, as it is in heaven. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a, a handful. But... Um, but in each one of us, we recognize the parts of what we experience every day that don't line up with heaven coming to earth. And so, so I think um, no matter what we see in front of us, we're going to wrestle, like we're going to struggle. And we maybe have been blessed, again, another Christian word, with, with this particular perspective where we're not worrying every day about, um, about the food that we we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to bed for the most part pretty full and satiated. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna go. We're gonna lay on a bed under a roof. Um, while while there are other people in the world who are wrestling, trying to figure out which daughter to sell into slavery so that they can feed the rest of their family. Mm -hmm. And so so um, I just don't think that if that's your situation, if you're in that kind of extreme poverty, living on less than a dollar twenty-five a day, you're even thinking about this kind of stuff. You don't have the luxury to. Um, we, uh, but but if we had if if we had if we were um, if we were as rich as Donald Trump, then we would still there would still be something that we would still not like. We would still be. Um, Un unhappy there would still be something we'd be longing for and maybe someone who has all of the wealth and all of the time in the world has time to wrestle with things that we haven't even considered yet uh, it's just all a trajectory but um does that make sense i love i love the notion of having the luxury of an existential crisis 
I've never the luxury of doubt. (laughs) I have never thought of that. That is awesome. That's the whole notion of Ecclesiastes. Ironically, is Mm. this rich guy who has everything? Yeah, that's right. Throne, going like, what is the point? Right. I heard um, this is the. I don't know if this is going to be the last time, but this will be the first time I think in your podcast you've had Jim Jim Carrey quoted. But oh, (laughs) someone's talking about. He's actually our next guest. Oh, great! Yeah. You're the warm-up man for, for Jim. Good. Uh, Seriously, we'll bury this. Like, <laughs> 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 a great guest. Yeah. I bet he'll have some really great things to say. Um, he, uh, I, I saw, um, I think it was a commencement speech yeah, that he yeah, gave that once. Was oh, viral, yeah. Yeah, but yeah sure. you know, yeah. Where, and he, I think he said something about, like, I wish everyone could have everything they ever wanted mm. so that they would know that that's not all you need like mm-hmm. that th- you would know that that's not going to satisfy you either right Some, something like that right and he's drawing it like directly from Eckhart Tolle who's like oh. doing the whole power of now and all of that kind oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean okay. that's like his jam there so you um, so you guys are well more well more well versed on this than I am no I'm I'm with you I don't know how to pronounce Eckhart Tolle until he just <laughs> well, said I it I just so. said it with confidence I was like it could be the like exact wrong way <laughs> to say it mm-hmm. Tolle Tolle I don't know to, I'll look to, it up Tolle Tolle is there a P in there is there a silent Greek P <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's the kind of stuff. But he went I think that's a row, actually. The thing that looks like a P in Greek. That's actually a. All right, well, that's going to be it today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks so much. <laughs> Debates about Greek phonetics. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but that's, I don't know, that's something I, I constantly come back to that where I'm like, good Lord, why do I have so much stress, anxiety, guilt, doubt, all the shit? Um, and people constantly looking at me like, and me feeling it too. Like, yeah, I do have good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I have access and um, affluence compared to the rest of the world. Like yeah, we complain about one percenters and it's like, that's us. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I air conditioning, I have, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. But it's a weird thing where it's just like, what? That's why I'm like, maybe this isn't something we shield anybody from. Like this is something we, maybe this is a luxury, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? As opposed to kind of like wrapping it back to that earlier thought of like, hide people shield people from guilt don't expose them to it and it's just like you're exposed to it already Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. a matter of like acknowledging it and coming out the other the other side being able to swim right it's like a really obscure thought i only have like a landing no i I love it it almost feels like if you are somebody living in the basic plateau that we are living in in america none of us are rich men but we're all doing fine Mm -hmm. and like more than fine we are getting by with enough to like buy shoes and like snacks and Mm -hmm. things that we do not need. So with that, there comes a certain amount of responsibility to, uh, I think to, to give back, to contribute to the world, to try to improve the world, make the world a better place in one way or another. Um, we have a social responsibility to be aware of the struggling and suffering that we personally do not experience. And it, I guess like what you're saying makes me feel like, we have a responsibility because we are afforded the chance to experience these doubts and existential crisis. Maybe there is a responsibility to dive into it. Maybe there is a responsibility to, mm-hmm. to explore it and try to help one another through it instead of just avoiding it because we have the opportunity to experience it. We don't have to worry about how are we going to get by on a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, yeah, it is a it is a really like abstract thought, but maybe we're we're running from something as a church that we should be accepting as a theological responsibility. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not smart enough to like wrap that thought up with a bow, 
but I had never thought of it that way mm-hmm. as like, this is, it is a privilege mm-hmm. to have the chance to doubt and wonder and question and explore, right. try other things out. We, we live in a country where we are free to explore different things. And I mean, even as Christians in America, people might disagree with us and poke fun at us, but we're not persecuted, right. you know? And I think that's an incredible gift. So we, we should like acknowledge the fact that that is a gift yeah, and give ourselves the freedom to wander through it mm. and join with other people who are wandering through it. It's ironic because in every, I don't know what your experience with like Christian education was been, but like every Christian Institute I've ever been a part of is like almost taken joy in dismantling people's faith. Mm-hmm. Like students who go to Christian college, the professors like love dropping these bombs on right. them about scripture or whatever. And you're like, well, I never knew that. Holy shit. Um, Quite literally. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder, I don't know. I wonder why there's a disconnect between what we experience in Christian education and Christian churches mm-hmm. where it's like, why are these professors over here kind of getting off on this? Like destroying an 18 year old's point of view on the world. And in church, we're like, no, 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 no. Just, just the good stuff. Like just I, well, the soft things, you know, I, but you've been a part of that kind of mechanism. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to treat church like CBS primetime programming. And like, it's really easy to just treat it like come in, get your fill, feel good, see your friends. Yeah. It's all Mm -hmm. just like comfy, cozy, get amped up for the coming week. And the week depletes you and you get to Saturday and you're like, Oh man, I just, I'm exhausted. And I did all that sinning time to, (laughs) time to get to church. Got a Southern accent. (laughs) My Christian always has a Southern accent. Whenever I impersonate a Christian, bless his heart. He's a sweet guy, but he's always got a Southern accent. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, And it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it almost becomes one more form of just therapeutic entertainment Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, let's get into the meat of what it means to be alive. Mm -hmm. What are we all doing here? What does this all matter? Um, I don't know. It kind of goes back to like the thought of like the Bible is more game of Thrones than it is CBS primetime programming. True story. I'm wondering what your thoughts are and like where the church is at. With like super hip hop churches, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like the hipster, quote unquote, churches. Hip hop or hipster? Both. I hip- want to go to a hip hop church <laughs> so bad. I didn't. Oh. If that's a thing, if anybody goes to a hip hop church, I want to come with you. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Do I you have gonna... a specific preference? We'll cater to it. Come on down. To Let's do. Let, I guess like what we have the most uh, experience with. Yeah. I have not frequented too many hip hop churches, okay, although you, I second what Dan said. Okay. And if someone has a good suggestion, would love yeah. to go. Let's dial in on the, 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 the hip trendy church that yeah. kind of is so prevalent in Los yeah. Angeles and cities like it. And all over, all over. They're, like they're I, popping up cause they're accessible. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I mean, I work within the Christian market and I, I, uh, um, work with, work with the people who are putting on conferences all around the country and who are at planting churches all over the country where the pastor is in skinny jeans and um, and talking about his super hot wife and oh, yeah. that's a thing that's easy. it's every it's it's always <laughs> happening everywhere um, and there you know and everyone's playing the same 15 songs uh, in their 
for the for the band, and it all looks the same. It's all lit the same. Oceans like, is always in there. It, it was a year ago. It's, <laughs> wow, it's now, lame now reference. Now, sorry, sorry. Now it's now. Someone back. hasn't been to church. I haven't been to recently. church in a minute. I am. Uh, I'm wayward. Yeah, Ocean. I need Jesus. Yeah, no, it, it was a minute ago. Everlasting God. Wow, man. God of wonders. Blessing be the name. Deep um, cuts. So yeah, these are like for those of you who are outside the church. Uh, these are like these are like the the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly in sync. Ninety eight degrees. This is like a throwback. Make you feel good. Yeah. Kind of like, I remember when. It is. It is crazy that people who have never stepped foot in a church are like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. And millions of people sing these songs in unison yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Millions. I probably still know all the words if it played. Haven't sung it in years, but it's probably so ingrained yeah. that if it just like started, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I know all the. I was listening to Pete Holmes's podcast once, and he uh, at the end of it. Yeah, decided, we're gonna have him on. Yeah, okay, he's great. also yeah. after Jim. After yeah, Jim Carrey. Uh, he at the end of one of his episodes uh, sang Shout to the Lord. He remembered all of the words. <laughs> Except for like, he got one line, he got one line wrong. But yeah. Um, no, so my thoughts about like the hipster trendy church. Um, man, like I feel like it can be a really good entry point for some people. I feel like if it's, my, my frustration, and this isn't just the hipster trendy church, this is any kind of church. This is any uh, or just really anything um, is if it's if it's marketed and packaged a specific way to reach a specific people, then it's kind of like well then just admit that that's what it is mm-hmm. you know um, like here in LA um, I mean my wife who's an actor just went on a, she went on an audition this morning and they said what they were looking for like they were looking for this type of woman yeah just say that I mean like and it feels like um, and it feels like the church has mastered this kind of like uh this this particular like this is how this is how we communicate who we are and this is how we get people hyped and excited and um and more and more i'm i'm just not interested in it because mostly because probably i see it all the time and i see i see a thousand churches doing the exact same thing and everyone's saying they're the only ones doing it Mm. And it's all, it's made up. It's not true. Everyone is doing it. It's happening all over the place. And it, everyone's using the exact same playbook to do the exact same thing. And, um, and I'd much rather see, I'd much rather experience, um, um, uh, a community and moments that seem transcendent with God when I can't give credit to the lights or a really good drum fill mm. or like, or, or a, a speaker who knows how to hype up a crowd. Right. Like that stuff fades, man. And so this, the stuff that lasts though is the stuff where it's just authentic. You have no other option except to go, there was something there. I don't know what yeah. it was, but there was something that happened just now. And to me, I'm just at a spot where the, all of that other stuff, the packaging is actually more of a distraction than it is a helpful tool. Mm-hmm. But I don't, but I never want to like, mm. I want to be at a place where I don't criticize um, something that actually might be helpful for someone else. Right. So, which is a hard line to walk and I'm not good at it. Like well, I still right find myself. Too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just feel like the highest level of evolution that I can see so far is, is, people that figure out how to absolutely like is to always assume the best about everyone else and i i feel like and i don't you can look at if you follow me on facebook you can tell that i don't always do that yeah um but but then i but usually after i after i don't do it i delete that or i post (laughs) something else that like kind of that goes the opposite direction but i hear where you're at and it's i feel uh, i relate to it a ton and the guy who kind of 
is helping me along the path a lot is this guy named Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, seriously. He's phenomenal. And his one of his slogans is to transcend and include. Mm. So it's like you move beyond the lights and the smoke and the drum hits and all of the cues, but then you learn to include it because you know it's there for a reason. Right. Like God created sense stimulus for a reason. He's yeah. created smell mm-hmm. tied to memory, like all these emotional things for a reason and emotions aren't bad in and of themselves and we mm-hmm. we kind of like hit on altar calls as a tool for manipulation mm-hmm. in one of the last episodes mm-hmm. and it absolutely can be yeah but we when we did our best to try to like give it a fair shot like it's the same moves that anybody can use mm-hmm. and you can use it for a good reason with good intentions mm-hmm. or you can use it for a pretty messed up intention bad reasoning right, right. to edify your own image and make yourself look cool mm-hmm. and count tallies and all that right. stuff so it's like uh, I think we get to these places where we want to like slam it and be like, no, screw those guys. Like it's garbage. I know what they're doing. And you can dismantle it once you've learned it. And especially Mm -hmm. when you've been on stage playing the actual song. So it's like you even understand how the, how the machine works. Like Mm -hmm. you see how the sausage gets made. Right. So then it's like, I just, I think you have a really interesting position as you get older and as you get wiser and more talented and get better opportunities to be Mm -hmm. like, I know this can be a really messed up thing to do. Like, you know, even like playing music as um, people pray or do oh communion. Gosh, like, yeah. I am emotionally pulling the levers right now. Yeah. Like, I know how to get you weepy, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you can play a certain YouTube video of, like, soldiers coming home. It's going to make people cry. Right. Um, well, it's like, and like that, and it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily wrong. Because, like, right. I mean, like, right. we'll probably, like, we'll put, like, backing tracks on, like, yeah, portions exactly. of our podcast. Right. You know, That's it's like, it works. there is yeah. something about, like, we like, as human beings, we like to stimulate those parts of our brains. And we, we like to tickle those, those things within us. I struggled for a while. Did that sound dirtier than I meant it to sound? The point <laughs> is, I was not even there. As soon as he started to chuckle, I was like, "All right." It's a twelve-year-old boy always a twelve-year-old yeah, boy. Sure. I I think like I struggled for a while when I started to deconstruct my faith with the notion of like because I grew up in charismatic Pentecostal right. churches where it's like people are praying in tongues, people are falling out in the spirit, people are like weeping or yeah. laughing, and like they are overcome with something powerful, yeah. and I was like. That's God. That's proof of God. Mm-hmm. And then, like, as I grew up and learned and kind of started looking around, I noticed, like, well, you see the exact same physical and emotional reactions in, like, tribal communities, in drum circles, in um, ceremonial rituals kind of around the world. And I was like, well, that's kind of deeply troubling to me. Right. And then I sort of, like, moved past that to, like, well, it's interesting that there's something in our brain that does that, Mm -hmm. that it's interesting that there's something there that just does that automatically in a communal space. I stopped thinking of it as being bad that it's like, we're all just singing this song and it's like a mantra. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's interesting that that affects us. It it feels intentional that that is there, that Mm -hmm. there's something powerful, whether you're singing at a church or singing at a concert, like it doesn't even have to be a, I mean, like, I have as spiritual a reaction listening to like Coldplay's Fix You because I'm a big old softy mm. as like I would uh, like a really Sweet. powerful don't do it don't you do it sing like it, sing it, okay. <laughs> the I think it's interesting that it triggers something in our brain it feels designed yeah it feels like lean lean into this because there's something powerful about community there's something yeah. powerful about something from the other side like taps us yeah um, 
I think what's dangerous is when the knowledge of that is used to manipulate people. Right. Well, I, I mean, I had a professor who teaches theology and pop music say that if your music is driven by the words, it's propaganda. So mm. it should be emotional based on the music. Uh -huh. And if you're trying to get people to... If you're using those instruments and those melodies and those sound waves to push your agenda, mm -hmm. he's like, that is so wrong. He could not be more adamantly against that. And he was an Episcopalian pastor for a long time. Wow. Um, and so I don't know where I stand on that, but mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely that thing of words can manipulate, sounds can manipulate. There's so much. That's, that's kind of what we talked about again on one of our other episodes is like, what is sacred and profane? Mm -hmm. I feel like I could bend anything to be that. Yeah. I mean, if I could, if I bash Dan in the head with his cup, all of a sudden, that feels like a profane object because right. it was a tool for murder. But or if I just hand there's no a way you could you could not kill me with that cup. There's no way. It's pretty dense, man. I'm very I'm too powerful. Okay. <laughs> pretty strong too. But anyway, like that's the. That's but it could also be sacred because you'd be sending him to his eternal place of like where he'd be praised. <laughs> Super. Amen, right? brother. Yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> I released you from all of that pain. Shuffle <laughs> off this mortal coil by grace of the cup. <laughs> the chalice. The oh, Starbucks man. chalice. I think that's a good segue though into. Maybe you do in your own song. Yeah. I think that would be dope to have on here. And you can pick whichever one. I'll pick one that seems really appropriate. Give us the most amount of propaganda you got. I got it. Some heavy I've prop. i got that. Okay. All right. Um, thanks. I'm the son of a preacher, rebellious and haughty, but unlike my father, I'm so slow with my sorry. See, he learned what mattered, what was worth fighting for, but I'm always retreating. To the opposite shore And I lost my way But I'll find it Yeah, you were my light And now I'm backlit Spend my life chasing What I'm running from Just like a prodigal son Lord knows I'm a prodigal son Daddy taught me the gospel is way more than they showed us Not your ticket to heaven or the way that you voted See, all that matters is what won't rust or burn Just live knowing you're loved and then love in return I lost my way, but I'll find it Yeah, you were my light and now I'm backlit Spend my life chasing what I'm running from Just like a prodigal son Lord knows I'm a prodigal son Oh, well, the older I get, the less I'm sure certain about anything anymore I wouldn't recognize 
recognize home if I didn't run So welcome back, your prodigal son And I lost my way, but I'll find it Yeah, you were my light, now I'm chasing it Couldn't be prouder of where I come from Just like a prodigal son Lord, you know I'm a prodigal son So in in wrapping this up, we we asked one another this question when we did our episodes and we wanted to ask you the same thing. If there was something you could leave our audience with that you would like people to know either about faith mm. or about what you believe to be true about God. Yeah, wow. That you wish or want people to to know or investigate or explore. Man. What might that be? Um, well, back to my dad. I, when I was going through all this, all like that season of of doubt, that dark night of the soul, um, five years ago or whatever that was. I remember us sitting in a hot tub and drinking martinis, and just having that conversation, just being really op- open and honest, and just in my struggles with with scripture, especially, but just faith in general. I was looking at, you know, well, I mean, how do you even trust this document that starts off by saying that? in six days the earth was created, you know, and, and then when you do the math, like it was, looks like it was about 6,000 years ago, but then you look up into the sky and it, and light travels a certain distance. We've already proven that and we know that. And so we can tell based on what we can see around us that it's more like 13.7 or something billion years, uh, since, uh, since the universe as we know it was formed. And so, um, that, how do you how do you reconcile those two things? Like, how do you trust this document that starts off with basically a lie? And he said, well, why are you starting there? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, um, and he just brought up as an example, well, what about, um, is, it, is it Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7 where the Sermon on the Mount? He said, why don't you just start there? Like, read that and tell me if you think that the world would be a better place if everyone lived like this. Don't even, don't even bring divinity into it just start there look at those words and say and ask the question is there wisdom there is there beauty there is there truth there and if there is then explore the next level then explore the next level then like kind of circles building around that like look and see if the words that were written down about this person who was talked about jesus if those words seem true then investigate if he seems trustworthy in the rest of what's presented. And then if you want to dig in and see if that even makes sense, if that's even trustworthy, like this historical account of him, um, don't worry about a virgin birth. Don't worry about a literal death and resurrection. Just worry about like what seems true to start, start off with and allow that to be your entry point. And all of us are going to have different entry points into experiencing God. You know, um, we were talking about Richard Rohr earlier and it, he, I love that he kind of says he's is it he's on the outside of the inside or the inside of the outside whatever. Yeah. I feel like that's where I feel like that's where I'm 
that's where I reside. And, um, and my conversations with friends who um, are believing and struggling or are unbelieving and struggling in that, I feel like um, the best place for me to hang out is on the outside of the inside and invite them into a conversation that's been going on for since the beginning of humanity of like, why are we here? How do we best relate to each other? How do we relate to whatever, um, whatever it is, whatever the forces were that created us and not worry about the details until the details present themselves to us. Um, and that feels like a much more honest way to chase after the divine, after God, after the universe, after whatever you want to call it, after Jesus. And, um, and I've just decided to name it Jesus um, because it works for me because that's my context, you know? And um, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, good where I was. That is some good that's shit. Way there, better than Greco. what we had to say. That is <laughs> so good. I'm going to go back and edit those last two podcasts. Oh, wow. uh, Dude, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Where can, uh, where can people find your music and follow you on social right. media and all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, David Greco, G-R-E-C-O. You can probably find me on, on Facebook and see my rants about Donald Trump and whatever. It's good stuff yeah, on we there, We didn't guys. get to those this episode. Maybe another time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's nothing unique. We all have, we all have our, <laughs> all our frustrations. Um, but, um, but I, and to be fair, I have frustrations on, uh, politically on all sides, so don't. On America. It's just, just, <laughs> just on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then I'm David A. Greco. That's my, my middle name is Andrew. So it's David A. Greco. That's, you can pretty much find me on Twitter, though I'm very rarely on there anymore because it's 2016. And then uh, and Instagram, I'm Snapchat, on the Instagram, yeah. same, same thing, Instagram. Uh, MySpace, <laughs> no. they won't let me delete the damn oh, thing. I'm stuck on there too. <laughs> so I have no idea if I'm on there. I haven't okay. looked at it in years. Um, at well, David A. Greco. At David A. Greco on most things. Okay. David Greco and on your Facebook. Music is... My music, I have a band. I, I decided to make myself really really hard to find so i have a french i have a french name my band has a french name but it's uh la commission which just means the the commission and um so yeah so uh la and then c-o-m-m-i-s-s-i-o-n and you can there's lawcommission.com um in all those places so we'll share some links too yeah and you have a forthcoming album i do uh we're probably going to be recording that thing in September, so there's more news on that coming. But awesome. yeah, in the meantime, just look for me. I'm playing shows around LA and the rest of these United States. So we'll all, we'll all be excited about. It. Do you have any upcoming shows? We'll probably upload this fairly soon. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, my next show is uh, is July 5th. Will it be up before that? We're yeah, gonna sure try. Yeah, we're gonna try. Whatever. Yeah, so we're yeah. gonna try. Yeah, yeah. Playing, playing July 5th at yeah. uh, at Hotel Cafe here awesome. in awesome. in Hollywood. Cool. So, dude, thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, you've yeah, been thanks awesome. Thanks for having me. Cool. I appreciate it, guys. All right. Well, All we'll right. see you on the next episode of the Back Pew. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you for listening. Smooches, everybody. Take care. Peace. God bless.